What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ant and Big Red versus the World. Um, I am one half of the duo here. I am Big Red, but and Big Red versus the World, average ant. Uh, fortunately, Big Red couldn't be here this week. He's uh, doing some traveling, heading up, heading down to Palm Springs, the like Palm Springs Collegiate League, uh, where he will be playing baseball for the next month or so. So, um, just me taking control this week. Uh, he'll be back next week, as always. Super proud of him um, as a co-host and as a friend because uh, we are we are close friends, believe it or not. Um, being Big Red go back, so uh, I guess shout out to him. He'll be back next week probably, and um, I guess we'll both be back together next week. So, uh, with that said, um, what we got on the menu for today is we got a finals update coming up. Um, first three games have gone, come and gone. Um, Obviously, the most intrigue we've had in the finals, uh, I guess, aside from 2016, where LeBron came back through one, all that, all that stuff. Um, definitely, most uh, one of the most intriguing finals we've had in the last decade or so. So, uh, definitely gonna give an update on that. And uh, we got we got a Paul Pierce story. Um, I won't get into it too much until uh, we actually until I actually get there, because I mean it's. Definitely, definitely pretty silly. And then, of course, we got to talk about Craig Kimball, Kimbrell uh, finally signing a contract with the Cubs. That's something I'll get into a little later. And we got some honorable mentions as well. So, I mean, definitely a lot of stuff to get into. So, without further ado, um, I guess I'll just jump right into it with the finals update. So, I guess I'll get, I'll just do a quick rundown, recap of the first three games real quick. So game one, Raptors came out on top. The Raptors supporting cast showed out. Um, something the Warriors did really good, though, was containing Kawhi. Um, yeah, he did finish scoring the ball pretty good, but he did it at, at Kawhi standards inefficient. Um, so the Warriors definitely kind of limited him and what he was able to do, but good thing for the Raptors. Um with all the defensive attention going to Kawhi that left the Raptors with a ton of open looks um, almost every time up and down the court. I mean, Pascal Siakam literally only missed three shots, finishing with 30-plus. Uh, crazy game for him anyway, and uh, the Warriors couldn't get any sort of momentum. Raptors really controlled the tempo on offense and defense, so Raptors came away with game one. And game two was looking a little bit the same. Uh the Warriors did take a little bit of attention off of Kawhi and kind of focused it on the other guys, which um, well worked, worked pretty good for them um, in terms of being able to guard everybody else. I mean, obviously you don't want to leave Kawhi open, and they did double-team him down the stretch and stuff, um, caused a few key timeouts that needed to be called a turnover or two. Um, but this led Kawhi to playing better, obviously. Uh, he went for 30. Not on the best efficiency again, but I mean, as the Warriors, you'll kind of take that. Um, and then uh, the Warriors, uh, Steph couldn't really get any momentum going. I mean, in the second quarter, he did, he was able to kind of break out, so to speak. But I mean, if you've ever seen Steph go off, you know that that, that second quarter was, wasn't really anything compared to what Steph can really do when he, when he gets really hot. But I mean, it did keep the Warriors in the game, and um, it eventually led to the third quarter 20-0 run, which pretty much all but sealed the deal for the Warriors in game two. I mean, 20-0 run, it's hard to hard to come back from that, so the Warriors ended up taking game two. And then game three, which happened last night, um, it was a must-win for the Raptors with, I guess, a must-win in terms of 
you have to win it. I mean, I don't, I don't like using must win unless it's obviously like an elimination game and you actually do have to win it. But um, it was a must. It was as close to a must win as it could be for the Raptors with Clay and KD uh, both out and in Oracle too. So you had to you had to take it. And I mean, it, it was looking a little little tough for the Raptors at first in the beginning because Steph came out blazing. Um, fin- ended up finishing with 47, but good thing for the Raptors. No other Warriors besides Draymond in the second half a little bit were able to show up. Um, Boogie was a huge disappointment. I mean, obviously the guy has, hadn't played basketball for about a month or so before coming back. And I mean, he played 30 minutes the game before. So, you know, that took a lot out of him. And although his injury wasn't necessarily bothering him, um, but he wasn't in basketball shape for sure. I mean, you could tell he was just tired. Um, he was one for seven, I believe, with only four points. I mean, it was the, uh, we we weren't expecting Boogie to go out there and put up the twenty five, ten and five that he was averaging with the Pelicans and the Kings before uh, tearing his Achilles. But the Warriors definitely needed at least another game, like game two from him, where he goes for a double double, eleven points, ten boards, and is able to uh, play, make, create plays, and and hit teammates when they're open uh for easy looks and that's just something that didn't happen and i mean something that also negated steph a little bit was kyle lowry and danny green just coming out and showing out i mean a lot there's a lot of question marks on kyle lowry um first two games he i think he averaged like 10 points on 29 percent from the field so i mean it was the same old same old kyle lowry type thing um you know his character arc never really changes he's always the dude that you can count on to underperform and whatnot but he came out in game three and completely showed out finished with 23 i believe and it wasn't like an easy 23 where you're just hitting open layups and transition and all that this dude was hitting step back threes contested shots everything he was creating off the dribble he was getting buckets in isolation all that good stuff so i mean it was, it was really good good sign to see kyle lowry kind of come out and do that and danny green just lining it up from three i mean he was looking like 2K13, Danny Green out there, just hitting all those green releases and all that. And um, something that was a little underrated that I didn't necessarily see too much buzz about was Serge Ibaka um, coming out and just kind of holding it. He, he was the anchor for the defense that game. I mean, he finished with six blocks, I believe. Um, a couple of them were crucial for sure in terms of not letting the Warriors get their momentum back. I mean, chase down blocks and all that. That, that takes the breath out of you for sure. Um, so he was holding down the defense, man. Um, uh, it's, it's always good to see vintage Sergi Baca or Sergi Blaca, if you will. Um, uh, he was all, he also hit a few jump shots that were, uh, they weren't necessarily, they were clutch in the sense that like his defense it stopped the Warriors from getting any sort of momentum. So, I mean, with kind of that, with the recaps, kind of, uh, the first three games, a few takeaways, uh, the Raptors are up two one, um, which is dope. I mean, I know I predicted the Warriors would win, but as you all know, we're we're all rooting for the Raptors unless you're a Warriors fan. Um, and a, another a huge takeaway for me is that Nick Nurse still he he needs to step up and get creative on offense. I mean, I know I've said it. I sound like a broken record because I've been talking about it since like the second round. I, I think is what I was talking about it. But Nick Nurse is um, considered an offensive guru of sorts. Uh, so it's interesting that especially in game two that the Warriors are able to go on a 20 and no run. I mean, you would think as an offensive minded coach that 
once it gets to 10, you're calling a timeout and drawing up a play that's going to get you a guaranteed basket. I mean, I know the Raptors did miss a ton of shots in during that run, but I mean, as as if you're Nick Nurse, you, you have to drop something that's going to get you a bucket guaranteed. You can't go on a 20-0 run. I mean, that's completely sus to me. Like, yeah, he's he's done really great uh, drawing up defensive drawing up a defensive strategy going with the box, which was uh, pretty unorthodox. Um, didn't really do much of it in game three. I mean, which is good because it's considered a high school kind of defense. But I mean, it, it, it worked to some extent in game two. I mean, sprinkling it in here and there is, is good for them. Um, Nick Nurse has been great on defense, which is weird because obviously he's an offensive guru, supposedly. So um, yeah, I mean, I, Nick Nurse, I, I'm still waiting on him. I mean, the Raptors have done a really good job in creating their own shots and stuff and really getting open space and all that. So, I mean, not necessarily throughout the game. And I'm, am I looking at Nick Nurse to draw up some stuff when uh, you got Kyle Lowry, of all people, creating jumpers and hitting step-back threes and all that. But in the sense of, like, the 20-0 run and coming out of timeouts, Steve Kerr stars, I'd probably give the coaching edge to Steve Kerr on offense um because even though the Warriors haven't been able to hit or anything coming out of timeouts I mean even game three there was this play where um the Warriors were coming out of a timeout and Steve Kerr drew up something for Andrew Bogut of all people and uh that got them an easy bucket so Nick Nurse if you want if the Raptors want to seal the deal and close out the Warriors as soon as possible Nick Nurse has to kind of step up in those post-timeout uh, kind of plays and get something going. Um, and I guess for the Warriors, this is pro- this is the first time we've ever really seen the Warriors like on the ropes and vulnerable. Like, yeah, they lost in 2016, but they were never really wounded. Like, yeah, Draymond Green missed a game due to suspension, but they never really looked like, uh, like this wounded kind of animal before. Um, uh, obviously claiming KD missed game three, um, and that's that's their firepower, pretty much. Like, yeah, Steph Curry went out for forty-seven, but you need Clay. You need you at least need Clay to be there f- to kind of take some of the scoring load for the Warriors. I mean, he, Clay's not really necessarily a guy you could give the ball to and be like, "Here, go get a bucket." Uh, no, he's not that guy. But when the Warriors are creating open looks, especially off of like a Steph Curry double team, um, I'd much rather <laughs> be passing the ball off to Clay Thompson than like. Jonas Uredko or someone like that. No disrespect to the man, but um, I'm definitely picking like picking Clay Thompson over Jonas Uredko for an open jumper. Um, yeah, and the Warriors, they absolutely have to win Game Four. Um, I know there's a lot of injuries and stuff, which is something I'll get into uh, in a minute or two right now. But there, the Warriors like Game Three was a quote must win for the Raptors. Game four is as close to a must win for the Warriors as it can be. Um, especially with KD being questionable. Like I said, I'll get into that in a second. Um, in returning for the series in general, not just for game four, but coming back for the series, um, the Warriors, they have to even it up, especially with the series going back to Toronto for game five. You can't go back to Toronto 3 1, down 3 1. I mean, that's just. A formula for disaster. I mean, that's that's not going to end really good. That's not going to end good at all. Um, and another takeaway, just the last one real quick, is 
my kind of question is how long can the Warriors kind of contain Kawhi? I might, I, I know he's got he's gotten 30 the last two games, but it was a quiet 30. I mean, you didn't really feel the 30, if that makes sense. I mean, I believe game two, he was 8 of 20 from the field. I mean, he's getting a ton of his points from the free throw line. I mean, kudos to him if he's getting to the paint and drawing these fouls and knocking down his free throws. I mean, he did set uh, the record for the longest consecutive free throws made streak and finals history so i mean if he's getting his it's it's different getting a guy get being a guy and getting 30 points and half of those coming from the line than it is getting um from like the field and hitting threes and stuff like that because you could always get to the line i guess but what's really demoralizing is when you're if you're the Warriors and you're hitting shots, but then you have Kawhi going out here and matching every shot that you're hitting. I mean, that's demoralizing. And I mean, Kawhi, <laughs> he's, he's been having a better game, better game, better game. Um, like game one wasn't really there. Uh, didn't really need to be the supporting cast really stepped up and took over game two. Like I said, finished with 30 on eight to 20, I believe. Um, and, the in game three, uh, he finished with 30 again, another quiet 30, but it was a lot more louder. I mean, he was answering a lot more of the Warriors' shots than he was, um, in game one and game two. So, I mean, that's definitely something to watch out for. I'm looking at Steve Kerr, um, to make an adjustment. I mean, you're already in a bad spot as it is, and it's only gonna get worse if, um, Kawhi is fully unleashed. So, I mean, you, if you're the Warriors, you gotta do your best to kind of, uh, to ring in Kawhi a little more tighten that leash a little bit so I guess with the takeaways kind of um out of the way we got a, we got some huge injury updates I mean the whole story kind of of this series is injuries pretty much I mean the first I guess the first one I at least important I guess if you want to say or I don't know if, if it's least important but Kevon Looney out for the rest of the series for sure um that's huge I mean Kevon Looney has been really, really big for the Warriors this postseason as a whole. I mean, not just the finals and whatever, but he's been huge for them down the stretch of the season and through the playoffs, being able to kind of D up, being able, having the ability to switch. I mean, like, yeah, he was uh, game two, I think it was. Yeah, game two. He was, every time he got switched on to Fred Van Vliet, he was just getting abused in that switch, but I mean, he still has the ability to switch and still at least put up a fight. I mean, not everybody's as kind of like short, small to their ground, stocky, quick, like Fred Van Vliet on the Raptors uh, in their rotation or whatever. But Kevon Looney out is a huge, it's a huge miss for the Warriors. And I guess this is probably the most, more least important thing is OG Ananobi looking like he's not going to play at all. Um, It was kind of a long shot. Before the series started, obviously, he hasn't played since April 9th, I believe, something around there. Um, but it does take away a possible defender if KD does come back that you could st- that you could throw on KD. Um, so, I mean, it is a loss for the Raptors, obviously. But the way the Raptors are playing and the confidence in which they are playing and the defensive reemergence of Serge Ibaka and Danny Green too. He, Danny Green had a few, few huge blocks in uh, game three. You're not missing OG as much as you would, as much as you were um, before the series started. So definitely a knock on the Raptors, but not as huge as it was looking like. 
um, before the before the series started. And final, and uh, I guess not finally because we got two more. Um, Clay Thompson will Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr thinks that Clay Thompson will play in Game Four. Um, whether he'll be a hundred percent or not is debatable. I doubt he'll be. Um, anywhere close to 100%. I mean, the way he was kind of walking around on that hamstring was concerning. Um, but having Clay Thompson in the lineup for the Warriors is definitely a stress reliever. I mean, even if he can't do all the cuts that he can usually do, just having him on the floor and being able to space it out. And I mean, you can still you could throw him in the corner and he can knock down a three. I mean, he's not the most explosive guy. Like I said, he's not going to be able to do all the cuts and uh, come off all the screens that he usually does um, as well as he does anyway he probably will still try but um, it's not going to be as effective but as a just strictly catch and shoot kind of guy um, like playing off of like a stuff double or something like that um, it's definitely still something that you definitely need if you're the Warriors and of course the huge elephant in the room is Kevin Durant uh, when he went down with his injury it was speculated that He'd possibly be able to return um, in the Western Conference Finals. Um, of course, that series ended in a sweep, so there's really no need to kind of like rush him back or anything. And there is, um, no, as we got closer to the finals, it was like, oh, Katie's going to miss game one, but we'll see him at some point. Then it turned into he's going to be out for until game three for sure, but there's a strong possibility he'll be back for game four. But as of this morning, he's officially out for game four. So this is definitely a huge punch in the stomach for the Warriors. I mean, Steph alone isn't going to be able to get you a championship. Um, Boogie, as much as I've been kind of rooting for the guy, because I mean, I've been, I was a Boogie fan, a huge Boogie fan, because he was with the Kings and all that. Um, Boogie's just after not being able to play for a month, he's gassed. He's already gassed, and it's only been three games, so you can't really lean much on Boogie. And Draymond can only do so much. Um, not having like the offensive web repertoire or whatever, whatever. Um, so this, like I said, this is a huge gut punch for the Warriors. I mean, now it's kind of looking like a KD even gonna return. Um, that's kind of what it's looking like now. Um, that Steve Kerr and the Warriors are kind of just like keeping it out there. That there's a possibility that he'll return just to keep the Raptors on the toes, kind of keep some hope. Uh, within the Warriors that KD will be back at some point. Um, but, I mean, missing Game 4 is huge. I mean, at least after Game 4, there'll be another, I think, I believe Game 5 will be Monday. Um, so there's an extra day of rest there. But the dude hasn't been able to practice or do anything. So even if he does come back, he's already missed a month of basketball. So if he does come back, it's not going to be 100% for sure. Um It'll be it'll look a lot like Boogie and how he came back. Obviously, KD is gonna be able to get uh, more buckets than Boogie. I mean, Boogie's a big guy for sure. So I mean, it's, it makes a lot more sense that he's more winded. But KD is gonna have a similar effect. I mean, he's hasn't played a game of basketball in a month, and that's huge, especially at a professional level. I mean, personally speaking, if I don't play basketball for like a week. And I go out there and try to run threes at the gym. I'm winded after like the first couple of games. So I mean, I can only I can only imagine what it's like on a professional level. So I mean, this is huge. It's huge, huge win for the Raptors. Um, now that if now that you already took one in Oracle, um, realistically the Raptors should 
um, be up 3-0. They're, if you take away that 20-0 run, if Nick Nurse draws something up to kind of like stop it, um, then the Raptors should have they should have took game two. So I mean, uh, the Raptors have a ton of confidence going into game four and going into the rest of the series, especially with the news that KD um, is out for game four and the speculation going around that. He might not even return for the rest of the series. So with that, uh, we do have a prediction change. Big Red texted me and uh, wanted me to make to let you guys know that he's changing his pick to Raptors in seven. Um, shout out to the man kind of going out there, putting his neck out for sure a little bit. But, I mean, the way the Raptors are playing, the confidence that they have, the defensive intensity that they have, the way the supporting cast has stepped up on offense, I mean – um, I, I wanted the Raptors to win. Um, I made a note, even though I picked against them, I'm pretty sure that the whole universe, aside from uh, Warriors fans, wanted to see the Raptors win. Um, but as for me, I'm standing my ground as of now. Um, assuming KD, KD does come back some point in this series, assuming Clay comes back in game four and is still able to be about 80% Clay Thompson, um, I still think the Warriors will take it as of now. If KD doesn't, if KD is ruled out for the series, I may have to revisit that. But as of now, Big Red's got Raptors in seven, and I still got uh, Warriors in six. But I'll, I'll change it to Warriors in seven though for now. Um, but next week we'll probably revisit, revisit this um, after Game Five if it doesn't end after Game Five because it very well could. So I guess moving on to uh, this the. This is uh, an interesting, interesting story to say the least. I mean, um, there it's the Pooh Pierce kind of uh, conspiracy going on here. So just a little bit of a, of context going on. Back in the 2008 Finals, Paul Pierce exited Game One in a wheelchair um, after an apparent knee injury. He said when he landed um, after going up for a rebound here at a pop, and his knee was hurting pretty bad. But the kicker is. Paul Pierce returned after only two minutes of game time and came back and absolutely torched the Warriors and Celtics went on to win that championship and Paul Pierce went on to win finals MVP. So kind of looking back at the whole situation, everybody that knows about it, looking back is kind of on board with the Paul Pierce is faking it, all that good stuff, but nobody really knew why. And I mean, this is where all the conspiracy theories come in. This is one of my favorite NBA conspiracies. I mean, um, definitely the less one of the least serious. I mean, it's not up there with the um, draft being rigged for the Knicks to get Patrick Ewing, Jordan having to retire due to gambling, whatever, whatever. Um, but it's it's interesting. So I mean, uh, why this is kind of getting light now is that um, Paul Pierce admitted that he exited Game One because he had to go to the bathroom. Uh, he said this on the jump on ESPN. And uh, it just adds to the Paul Pierce bad media tour with all of his wrong predictions, all the else he's been taking, saying he's better than D Wade, a uh, better shooter than Clay Thompson, all that good stuff. So I mean, it's just another L in the long history of Paul Pierce taking L's. But I mean, why I, I didn't really want to get into that. The reason why I want to talk about this is because it feels a conspiracy theory that I personally believe in, which is that Paul Pierce had actually dookied on himself um in game one which is why he had to leave and go to the locker room um why this comment kind of feels this and proves it to an extent is that paul pierce didn't specify 
if he had already gone to the bathroom or if he just had to go. So, um, in the kind of frame by frame pictures while he's on the ground and stuff, um, there's no, there's not much evidence that he had, uh, dookied on himself, but there's video evidence that was posted, um, a few days after game one that does show Paul Pierce with what appears to be a stain on the back of his shorts. Now this stain, it, it's tannish, it's brownish. Um, I mean, it's tough to distinguish it between, uh, dookie or sweat, but the fact that that's there and the fact that Paul Pierce admitted that he had to go to the bathroom, didn't specify whether he had done it before or, a- or after he had gotten the wheelchair. Um, definitely keeps this conspiracy theory alive. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to get to the bottom of it, honestly. Uh, like I said, it's one of my favorite conspiracy theories going around in the NBA. Um, just because it's, it's, it's just funny and it just adds to the Paul Pierce kind of legend and aura he has going on. I mean, whether you like it or not, Paul Pierce is an NBA legend, uh, whether it be for the wrong or right reasons, uh, I don't know. But I mean, it just adds, it just adds to his, uh, mystique, if you will. So that's kind of all I got for the Pooh Pierce conspiracy. Um, just a little slight story. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just all fun and games. I mean, like I said, we're in the lesser known kind of NBA conspiracies and whatnot. So I guess getting into the final story that uh, we have today is Craig Kimbrell signing a three-year, $43 million contract with the Cubs. Um, for those that don't know, Craig Kimbrell, ha- Kimbrell has been sitting out uh, for well over seven months now. Um, hasn't played once in the 2019 MLB season because he was looking for a big lucrative deal. And no teams were willing to give them that up until now, obviously. And just to kind of put into perspective how good of a relief slash closer Craig Kimbrell has been, he has a career 1.91 ERA, which is the lowest for relievers who have at least 300 innings pitched. He is the youngest pitcher to reach 300 saves. And last season was his worst season of his career, uh, um, arguably, where he posted a 2.74 ERA uh, with 96 strikeouts and 62 and one-third innings pitched and obviously had... A little bit of, uh, he had some postseason troubles with the Red Sox as well. But that doesn't take away from the kind of, um, the all time great reliever he's been. So, um, shout out to him for getting the bag. But what does this mean for baseball? It means, uh, a few things. It means that uh, specialty players, um, are about to get that bag. I mean, a dude that's only gonna go pitch an inning, maybe two, um, not even every night. Because you don't need a closer um, every night, obviously. But a dude who's only going to go out there, throw an inning or two every couple of games, is getting uh, he's getting 10 mil this year and then 16 mil um, the next two years. So a dude that he's getting paid 16 mil to throw an inning or two every other game. So that indicates that that specialty that he has and the ability to kind of close out a game is valuable and just expect more players like him, uh, closers, relievers, uh, setup man, um, designated hitters, not necessarily defensive, defensive specialists, but them to an extent, utility players, all those guys are about to get, start getting paid a lot more than they are. And, um, this kind of, uh, this also means that the importance of having a shutdown relief pitcher has reached a new high. I mean, if you think about all the, championship teams in the past most of them have a dude that they 
that they just threw out there for the whole series and was like, here, shut it down. I mean, we saw it last year with Nathan Evaldi, um, Madison Baumgartner comes to mind, dudes like that. So having a dude that you could just give the ball to and just shut it down is something you need to win a championship. And I mean, it's always different. Uh, not every championship team is built the same, but that seems to be one sort of constant that um, has been going around, whatever. And um, one other thing is this may also cause more players to hold out. I mean, when K- Craig Kimbrell was out here saying he wanted three years, $45 million, everybody thought he was crazy. Nobody thought he was going to get that. And as more time went on, like it's almost, it's about the halfway point, just getting there. Probably, I think next month or so is the halfway point for them. I'll be um, with the All Star game and all that. So he's missed about half the season. So nobody was really thinking that he's going to get anywhere close to what he was wanting. But here he goes. He only got $2 million less than what he was um, asking for with getting paid 16 mil in the last two years where, where he'll be. Um, 33, though he'll be 32 and 33 in the last two years, I believe. So, um, getting paid that money at that age, I mean, it it looks really good. This is a huge win for players in general. I mean, um, a dude who isn't going to go out there and play every single day, he isn't a starter like Clayton Kershaw. He could just give the ball to, and it's a guaranteed 20 or so wins a season. Um, it's a guy that, it's only going to throw, like I said, ending it to a game every other game. So if a dude like that can hold out and get exactly what he wanted, even though everybody thought he was kind of crazy for asking for that much, um, it's a huge win for players in general. And I mean, expect a lot more players to get bigger contracts. So I guess um, with that said, what does this mean for the Cubs? How does this help the Cubs? Um, well, first and foremost, it adds one of the best all-time relief pitchers to a core that's struggling. Um, the relief core for the Cubs has been sus to say the least for this season. Um, all the other Cubs are in first place currently. Uh, it's been, it hasn't really been in part because of the relief pitching. Um, so this is a good, really, really good thing for them, which is probably a big reason why they went out and splurged and gave him all that he wanted except for 2 million, um, is that because they, they really needed it. So uh, this might also be able to create some space between them and the Brewers. Like I said, the Cubs are in first place. They won't be able to get um, Craig Kimbrell for about two weeks, uh, 10 days at their earliest, I believe, because he has to pass a physical and all that good stuff. But when he does come, the Cubs are only two games above the Brewers, I believe, um, at time of recording. So this definitely can separate the gap and um, will give them the ability to win closer games that their relief core really hasn't been able to do. I mean, as indication, their road record isn't the best at 13 and 16. And, you know, you, you play a lot closer games on the road than you do at home. So, I mean, having a dude that will be able to go into an opposing ballpark and be able to hold it down and kind of secure the win will balance that road record out a little bit and it'll win you a lot more close games. So, I mean, it's good for the Cubs, good for Craig Kimbrell, good for players in general. Um, everybody wins here, I guess, except for the owners who are going to have to pay more. So, uh, with that being said, that's kind of all I got for, uh, the main topics do have a couple of honorable mentions. Um, LeBron, the biggest being LeBron may request a trade from the Lakers if they strike on free agency, which is something that I'll be covering. Um, in a few weeks after the finals and all that good stuff, can't really talk much about LeBron while the finals are going on if he hasn't played and whatever. But um, 
we might might have a special guest on talk, covering the Lakers and stuff in the near future. So uh, stay tuned for that. And um, another honorable mention is the Nets are another front runner to land Kyrie Irving. Uh, we might do a kind of free agency special, all that good stuff. Um, like I said, as the finals are over, can't talk about dudes that much uh, that aren't in the finals while the finals are going on. So that's something that'll uh, be going on later as time goes down or time passes. And the last honorable mention, um, Shoreline Finn, Zane Zerberg getting drafted. Shout out to him. Uh, we I played last year with him. He's a cool dude. Definitely deserves it. Um, that got drafted to the Brewers, who I mentioned a couple minutes ago. So uh, just shout out to him in general, putting the Finns on. Um, I know the Finns kind of more or less have been the laughing stock of the NWAC North the last few years, but I mean this definitely puts them on the map. And I always got love for the Shoreline Finns since uh, I'm a former former Finn. So roll Finns. Shout out to Zane. And um. Yeah, so I guess that kind of concludes it for today. I hope you uh, enjoyed the content. I'm dealing with a little bit of, not sure if I'm sick or if it's allergies, but uh, definitely got a sore throat, runny nose, all that all that good stuff going on. So uh, thank you guys for kind of sticking through it with me and listening. Um, Big Red will more probably be back next week. Not sure, um, but we'll be working hard getting more content more quality content out for you guys we got some exciting stuff coming up with uh some guest appearances after the finals and all that stuff where um we're, we'll be done with school and we'll be able to go hard and get some more stuff out for you guys so thank you for uh listening and this is average Ant signing off Peace.